gives this to Dagger. Oh! Illegal substitution, too many men on the field, Saskatchewan. Gizmo has a block in the sideline. He has not stepped out, he may go all the way. He needs one block and he'll do it easily. Promise mess I wouldn't do this. McDavid stops up, what a move, shoots, scores! everybody, welcome to The Outsiders, powered by the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City. I'm Bryn Griffiths, he is Robin Brownlee, and joining us is the is the better looking of the two from the new podcast, <laughs> Got Your Back, Jason Strudwick. Struddy, how you doing? I'm good. How are you guys this morning? Doing great, thank you. Hang on a second. Okay, before we get going, let's talk about this podcast that you and Ryan Rashog from TSN are doing. What? How did this come about, man? Um, well, it seems like it's, it's a popular thing to do. Um, you know, and, and, and Shogger contacted me a little while ago and I, I, I was interested, you know, um, I love doing the show with Greg's, um, you know, this is just a different platform, uh, you know, sharing something with Shogger. Uh, so it's fun, you know, to get on there and kind of talk a little bit, um, about the Oilers and then kind of talk about the, the got your back idea segment, which I love is a little bit of positivity. I think we can all use a little bit of that. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, uh, we've got a couple under our belt and, so far, so good. You know what, uh, Jason? The thing that strikes me is you seem to have always been drawn, at least since your playing days ended, up to the microphone. I mean, you've done dinner TV. You, you, yeah. You've done late late night stuff at, at TSN. You've done Gregor now uh, for several years. Yeah, I mean, you got rid of that very average host he had for many years and, <laughs> and taken yeah. that spot. Uh um, what's the attraction for you? Um, well, you know, even when I was playing, I, I always enjoyed, I, I like talking about the game and you know, I talk with my teammates. Um, you know, the reporters weren't too interested in talking to me as a six or seven defenseman, but every now and then they'd run out of things from the big guys. So they'd come to me, but I, I enjoy it. And I, you know, I think that the talking about the sports are one thing, but entertaining, entertaining is something I love to do. I think, uh, I'm a pretty, pretty fun guy at times. I can be funny. Um, you know, and you, you try to entertain people. I, I think that's really what I'm good at. So, you know, everything I've done, you, know, you talked about the nighttime show. I had no idea what I was doing and I, and they let me do it. And I figured <laughs> it out a bit. Then I go to TV and I knew even less what was going on. I didn't know what a rundown was. I didn't know anything. And they're like, it's like, you never went to school. I'm like, you're right. I didn't, I have no idea what I'm doing. So they trained me up and I think there was improvement there. Then even things like battle of the blades. I did um, very uncomfortable, like stepping out of my comfort zone. I think is something I, I asked my kids to do. And I think that I, I try to do it. My wife and I both do it. So um, that all leads us to, to here. And now I'm very comfortable talking, you know, with anyone for a podcast or a radio interview or speaking to different groups, kids, adults, whatever. I, I think that, you know, after this has been over 10 years now, um, I, I've improved slightly. Uh, I no, it's, you've come a long way, man. I'm very proud of you. Hey, here's, here's one thing though. So through your playing career, which is over 600 games, which is fantastic, but you played in, you, you know, you played in some sizable markets, you played in some hockey feverish markets. So while everybody's running to the big guys to get their quotes and their interviews, were you kind of studying a little bit of what was going on thinking, I wonder what it's like to be doing that or did it never even occur to you till you were done? Well, I, I did, I did think, you know, I, I often wondered why guys wouldn't go to talk to the guys that didn't play as much. Um, because I think they, 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 you know, they, they, like, let's look at this team, Connor McDavid, Leon Dreisaitl, they're getting bombarded daily. Now it's changed a bit with COVID, but if you go talk to uh, the Chris Russell or you go talk to the Brad Malone, they're happy to talk because they're not, no one's talking to them. And you're like, Oh, it's like, you know, it's kind of like you're the ugly guy at the party and you know, and a, and a nice young lady comes and talks to you. You're, you can't believe it. Yeah. And so um, that if you're actually getting someone that wants to talk to you. So, you, you know, I'm not saying you're going to squeeze more juice out of them, but they might be more open and willing to, to talk because they haven't talked daily. And um, so I always, I always wondered that why guys, when it comes to, to kind of that lower third of the lineup uh, more often. But did you see them, the media as being, potentially one of you later did you ever um, think that at any no, point because some guys some guys we had ray ferraro yeah. on always wondered what it'd be like and then he said he got into it and he couldn't believe how tough it was never mm. saw that coming but some of these guys have always said 
that might be an interesting gig for me later. I don't want to coach or that kind of stuff or be a general manager. I might want to do that, but you never had that at all when you were playing looking at the uh, other guys. I, I think so. I think it was between that and coaching. I mean, I, I would have loved to have been a coach. Um, you know, I, I, I had some opportunities, but with my young family, it wasn't a choice because it's either family or coaching. There's, there's very little time for both. Yeah. And uh, I made that choice right away. Um, so, you know, it, it and, and not that I, I, I just backed my way into the media, but I, I said, okay, this is what I, I'm going to set my mind on because of the time. And uh, so it, it was kind of both, uh, I would say, um, when, I, when I was playing. But I, I definitely had an eye towards coaching. I mean, I, I coach my kids now, and I love it. It's the best part of my day. You have that hour of practice. I, I run it like we're running for the Stanley Cup, right? I, I, love, I just love that challenge, and it's a lot of fun trying to make these kids better. Well, and you also have a hockey school uh, that you, you run, Jason. Um, so you are doing some coaching. Um, yeah. Is that as close to the uh, National Hockey League or uh, pro hockey as you're going to get? Uh, a, a, as a coach, are you happy doing yeah. that with the broadcasting now? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So when I retired, I had, I had a number of offers to go coach in the AHL as assistant coach, right? That's kind of the way you work your way up, right? Like yeah. AHL, maybe down to the Western League, or not down, but to the Western League as a head coach and move, move back up. And so I, I could see it. And I've had friends who've done it. I could see the path in front of me. And uh, it just didn't jive with what I wanted to be with my kids. I wanted to be with them. Um, so I, I'm very satisfied. Like I, I, I do have the DMM camp. I work, I coach my own kids. And just seeing kids understand something and unlocking a part of their other game. It's really satisfying. And, you know, with the DMN camp, I'll see the kids for a week, but I've had some that have been coming for years and, you know, seeing them come back saying, this is what I did this year. This is what I, I love it. Like it's, it's, I, I think that hockey, you know, I know that for a long time, I was very focused on the NHL. They realized there's a massive pyramid underneath of all different ages and levels of players. And, you know, I, I love working with the best and I, I work with some that are just kind of finding their way in the game. And I, I love it all. It's, it's just a, um, it's a great game and it's a great community to be a part of. And I'm lucky to have a, you know, a pretty decent role here in Edmonton in that, in that hockey community. Well, you happily got this great break doing radio. Now you're doing some TV <laughs> stuff as well. That means you've got to comb your hair. You've got to, you know, right. you got to worry about what you're wearing as opposed to in radio. You don't have to worry about right. that. How are you finding the TV yeah. stuff now? Um, well, I, you know, when I, I was, when I was doing the nighttime show on TSN, I got a chance to do a few, a few, like that's hockey's on TSN. And, yeah. uh, I knew I wasn't ready. I sat down there. I had no idea what was going on. People are talking my ear, you know, other people are, you know, telling me what to do. I'm looking here, looking there, no idea. So, you know, that's why I went to dinner TV. I had, um, you know, I didn't know a lot about politics. Uh, I, I don't know a lot about social issues or at that time I, I wasn't completely versed. It's picked up a lot since then, but I went there and, you know, I, I took it as going to, to university for two years. You know, we did, um, we had to do 14 hours of, of TV, what live to tape or live programming uh, every week. And I would be the host. So 14 hours a week, I was cranking out, um, you know, talking about all these different topics, looking ahead, looking behind, hosting ladies panels, hosting like all this different stuff. And I grew so much as a broadcaster and, and, and my comfort level with people talking to me while I'm talking to you and maybe trying to argue with someone like it was, it was a huge, huge improvement. And uh, so then when I went back, you know, to, to, to TSN, I got a chance to do a few more things like that. I and mean, you're talking about doing the oldest broadcast. I'm so much more prepared. And I, and I think that, you know, I, I took this transition to the media, much like it is a hockey player. I knew I wasn't the best player and I knew I wasn't the best broadcaster, but I had to work my way up uh, and put the time in. And I think there's been an evolution um, of steps and, 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 and um, growth and listening to people who, you know, give me feedback. Um, but, it, you know, and so now I feel like I'm, I'm much further along than I was five or six years ago. It's not a finished product, but definitely improved. You know, it's interesting, Bryn, uh, you and I were chatting, but I used to give Struddy a hard time. Uh, at night, I'd either text him or I'd tweet about, gee, I've never, I've never heard so-and-so's name pronounced that way before. <laughs> yeah. And, but I tell you what, it's part of the, it's part of the steps. I mean, I was brutal. Uh, yeah. I mean, a print guy. Yeah. Okay. Maybe I can write a sentence, but I, <laughs> I'm not a radio. I'm not a radio right. guy. I listened yeah. to some clips and went, Oh my God, that's awful. Yeah. What are you thinking? Um, who have you talked to? Who, who is Gregor in there some, somehow, because 
you do his show regularly, but you've always got help along the way of people who, who might say, try, maybe try this, maybe don't do that. Um, what's it been for you? Yeah, and I, I think that's, you know, you, it's it's not one person that's been a mentor. Like, Gregor's definitely been a huge help for so many. He got me in the business. You know, he, all, all, he was a huge help, and he, he'll give me tips. But, you know, to be honest with you, uh, Brownlee, a lot of times I watch other people and, and see what I like about them. So I'll, I'll watch, like, a, like Kevin BX. Let's give, I think he's, if not the best, one of the best analysts on TV. But what I like about him is he's himself. He's not trying to be someone else. And I, I and I... And I really respect that about him. He has great insight. His insight, I always think, man, I like, I love the way he said that. I love the way he phrased it or, um, you know, kind of put it together so we could all understand it. Um, but he's, he's himself. And I think that's what I try to be the most, just my truest form. And I know I butcher names and I know I, I butcher sayings. And honestly, that's who I am. I, if we all went for beers, I do the same thing. So I try to be the most authentic version of myself. And that way I don't have to try to be somebody else who I'm not. Um, I remember when I first joined dinner TV, I was trying to be like, I don't know, Dan rather like, welcome to dinner TV. And the guy's like, well, like, what are you doing? We didn't, we didn't, if yeah. we wanted that guy, we would have hired that guy. He's like, just be yourself and, uh, and uh, be fun. And I, I try to do that. And I, I think, but you're, you're always watching like Ray Faro is elite, elite. Yeah. Um, but he's very intense, very on point, prepared. Uh, Craig Simpson, same thing, very prepared, very on point. So everyone has their thing and we, you know, we don't all have to be the same to be great or really good at what you do, but you have to have your thing that works for you. Well, one of the things that's tough is being yourself on radio and on television. Uh, I, mm. I, you know, I've been 30 plus years in the biz and it, yeah. it's, to kind of pull that wall down to let people see you a little bit. Uh, Ryan was on with us a few weeks ago, and Mr. Rushog said the one thing about this podcast is that it sounds like we're just having a coffee and Bailey's and shooting the shit, which is exactly the way we want it to be. But mm -hmm. that takes work. And, uh, you know, the guys who like to work hard at it are the ones who get better and better. And you're certainly finding yourself uh, getting better and better every time. The other thing that surprised me about you, and then we'll talk a little bit about your playing career and what's going on around the NHL these days, but I saw you at a Toast of the Town event, and you were <laughs> speaking, and you just blew me away. I went, wow, I, I didn't see that coming. So from a public speaking standpoint, it's uh, the number one fear on the planet, speaking in front of people. You clearly don't have a problem with that. Well, I do get nervous. You know, I, I, I'm not going to lie, especially something like that. The Toast of Town, there's some big hitters in that room. Um, you know, people that I really respect. And you want to, you don't want to fall flat, right? And I think that's the biggest challenge. You know, I remember I did a, a couple of years ago, uh, um, it was the uh, a comedy event with all the, the, the local like radio and TV personalities. Yep. And I was so nervous. I was sweating. I think I had a couple drinks before I hit the floor. Like I just, and not that I was buckled out of my mind, but I, I, I just, you want to do well. Right. And, and I'm competitive, you know, like you, you want to do well and you want to give some shots. And so, um, you know, we've done, I've been roasted now. I've roasted a couple people and you know, the toast of the town, it's a lot of fun, but the prep that goes into that, like I, I like to ride my bike. So I'll go for a bike ride and I'll think of like whatever Robin Brown. Okay. What do I think of Brown? And I'm trying to like get little things. And I don't want to hit the obvious, you know, like we try to, I try to come a little bit to the side or the back. Um, so people are surprised and wow. it's, it's, it's hard, but it, it, it was, a lot of fun before we get on to hockey uh i mentioned this to bryn before we came on and i know you've talked about it um a lot of times and, and it doesn't happen every time bryn and i have guests on but every once in a while they say something that really rings true in my head you mentioned your kids more than once hmm. um my life changed so much when I became a father. Mm -hmm. um, my priorities changed. And uh, when you mention your kids and being close to them, you had to, you and Shona, your wife, yeah. uh, you've told your story, but not, not with us. Um, mm -hmm. You had to take real extra steps. You were at a point in your life where obviously the two of you said, let's, we want to have a family. Well, it wasn't that easy. And yeah. tell people your story if you can, because I think it's wonderful. 
Yeah, thanks, Brown. I, I love to share with you because I think that when we went through it, it it's very difficult um, time, and um, we were very emotional. So I was. We got married at 30 years old. I found a, a woman that was willing to take me on as a project, and um, so we we got married. And you know, right away, you think, hey, you're gonna, you know, my wife was wanting to have kids right away. We're 30. It turns out it wasn't that easy. And we had to do a few treatments. My wife did them when I was playing in New York and it didn't work. Um, and then, you know, I come back to Edmonton and it really made it a good easy, or, or it was a great move for a lot of reasons, but the biggest one being um, to adopt a child, it's good to have a, the same home or address for the whole year. You know, if you're moving around, they're like, well, why you live in the States, you live in Canada, what are you doing? They don't care if you play hockey. They're worried about the welfare of the child. So um, we, we got onto a situation uh, with Oilers where, you know, friends were getting pregnant and I, we had a great life. My wife had a, a successful business. I was playing the NHL and I, we were very happy except for this one part. And I remember my wife would be crying herself to sleep at night. It was very difficult. So we decided to get on uh, my last year at Oilers. We got on an adoption list uh, at the same time as we used a treatment to, to, for my wife to get pregnant at Christmas time. And I'll never forget it. It was, um, you know, we were so happy. It happened before, but this one seemed different. It, it seemed like this, this little embryo would be a fighter. So uh, I think it was just around Christmas. You know, I, 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 um, my wife and I decided we'd tell everyone after those mandatory three months or whatever. And um, so I, I came to the dressing room. I got really emotional and told all the guys what had happened. And, and uh, they were all excited. And I put money on the board. A very emotional moment. And I don't remember if we won the game or not. I, I, I probably even played very well. By that last year, I was a pretty shitty player. But, um, you know, it, it, was, it, was, um, it was a great moment. And then, you know, you fast forward now to the trade deadline. And there was some talk that I might get moved. And I'm not sure why. But I remember thinking to myself, because we're on this adoption lift, if if I do in fact get traded and the chance was remote, but if it did happen, I would have said, um, I, I can't go. And I would just said, this is why, you know, I, I can't go because, um, you know, my I'm at the end of my road anyways. And, and, and um, you know, I got to be here for my wife and, and this adoption situation. So, um, you know, the, the year ended, I didn't get traded. Um, and then the year, the year ended uh, one week after our last game in the NHL, we got a phone call and a, a baby was born and the mother uh, birth mother chose us. So we went down and uh, we were able to get our son and my wife was still four or five months pregnant this time. And boom, uh, there's our, there's our little boy. And uh, it was amazing. And so we had my son in April, then my daughter came in August. And then they said that I remember we were walking out with, after we had my daughter and our doctor's like, no, do you guys want some protection or like protection? Like, are you kidding me? We've been trying to have kids for five years and you're offering you now. And she's like, well, sometimes things change. I'm like, Hey, I know. Don't worry. Like, I know, like, I know everything. Right. And yeah. so, uh, I'm on, I, I, 12 months later, boom, we're pregnant naturally. And we have this third child. So three kids in 22 months. Um, I, you know, honestly, I, I always knew I'd be okay when I retired from hockey. I, I, it was, it was a big part of my life, but it wasn't who I was. There was a lot of parts of me, uh, but having three kids, I mean, it, the, the first five years are a blur. I mean, at Brownlee, I'd see you with Gregor and I, I was just bagged. I didn't know what was going on. We weren't going out doing anything, but after about five years, things settled down. But, uh, so that's our story. And we've shared it with so many people because when you go through it, you feel like you're alone and people are like, well, why don't you just go get drunk? You know? Oh, really? That's a good idea. I never thought about that before why don't you go on a trip like yeah we've tried to relax yeah. all right like and and so it, it is amazing and people they they do you know suffer might be a bit of a, a dramatic but people do have really have a tough time with this and so we've been very open and counseled many families who have had great success with their own families since then great story and thanks for sharing that i want to start talking about a little bit about your hockey career and then we'll move into what's sure. happening in the nhl yeah. now okay so who's your favorite player growing up is there one guy that was I know, I know you played yeah. back on the blue line. Was it a blue yeah. liner? Was it somebody else? I, I loved, uh, I, I liked uh, Mark Messier was my favorite. Oh, and okay. Bob Probert and, and, and probably Luke Richardson. Like I, I liked how those guys were very much, they did it their way. Right. And yeah. they, they didn't get pushed around and I'm not going to sit here and suggest I was as tough as any three of those guys, but I definitely like to hold my own ground and uh, look after my teammates. And that was a big, big, big factor for me um, in, 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 the player I'd eventually become. Do you ever have a chance to meet Bob before we, we lost him or no? 
Yeah. So I actually played with him and I remember the first time I went in there and I, to the dressing room, I was just a mess. I was so, I, I mean, I never, I, I didn't want to fight him. Um, you know, I would, if I had to, but I, I, I didn't really think that was a good choice for me. So <laughs> good, uh, smart I, choice. <laughs> yeah. I mean, whatever. I don't need to get, I don't need to prove I'm tough by getting beat up by Bob Rover, but yeah. I, I went in and I, he was the nicest man, like bar down the nicest guy and just calm and relax. But when we hit the ice, if something happened, he would snap. And, uh, you know, he, unfortunately he didn't play that whole, that year. And then I think he, they kind of sent him on a leave or something. Um, but he was the most genuine human being and always, Hey, how are you doing? What's going on? Like, Oh, you've got a girlfriend. Like just, I just, I, I loved, I loved him and I loved him before I met him. And oftentimes that's a bad recipe because he meets someone and yeah. you realize they're not maybe that nice, but he was as good or better than I expected. You know, it, it, it's interesting, Brent, and I don't know if I've told you this, I hadn't seen, I mean, Struts came to the Blazers. I, I mean, I was in Edmonton by the end of 89, so I predated him out of the loops covering those Hitchcock teams. But um, the first time I remember seeing him was preseason games. He was in Vancouver, and it was on back-to-back nights, and one was here and one was in Vancouver. I think I've mentioned it before, and he laughed, because I think he was – Strudge was just playing hockey, looking to make the hockey club. But on back-to-back nights, the Oilers had a prospect, a first-round pick named Joe Hulbig. Oh, yeah. And on, ba- on back-to-back nights, Hulbig got knocked senseless by Steve Steos and – Jason Strudwick, and he was basically done then. I mean, I think he, I mean, I know he had a brief career, but for a first rounder, it was very brief. But I don't even know if you remember, Struddy, but you KO'd him and Stales KO'd him, and I don't remember which, but he was literally doing the dead man swim on the ice. He was out flat like a starfish. (laughs) Do you remember that? I do remember. So it's a little bit of backstory there. So I didn't trade it to Vancouver the year before. Mike Keene is the coach. So I, I, you know, that summer, it was very clear to me what I had to do to make the team right in training camp. And that was just be an absolute animal. So if I remember, I think I fought every game in preseason. I think I fought six times. And uh, I do believe Joe Halbig was on. And the reason I didn't like Joe Halbig, and it was personal, is I remember when he was drafted by the Oilers, everyone talked about how he's coming out of college. He's this big physical guy. He's going to give everyone a beating. So I took a person like, okay, let's find out what he's got. I just came out of two years out of the Western League where it's like a, a shark tank. Oh, yeah. So I think I can handle this. So I went after this guy and I, you know, I look <laughs> looking back, you kind of feel bad, right? But I, I had to make a team. But the funniest thing I remember, we were, I think it was the last preseason game in Edmonton. And um, I got into a fight and, uh, and I think it was my sixth fight in six games. I was just, I was done. So I, I think it was at the end of the period. So I go into uh, the dressing room and I'm sitting there icing down my hands and my face. Like, it looks like I've been just destroyed. And Todd Bertuzzi, who was a good friend, came in. He's like, enough enough we know you want to make the team but you are done I'm, I'm telling the coach you're not going out there anymore like you fought you've done everything you need to it's a preseason do you not know that I'm like I got to make the team I got to make the team so I'm just sitting there like I'm like okay all right you're right and the trainer's like okay you're right you, you better stop playing 20 seconds later in Mike's walking Mike Keeney's like great period straight you got another one in you I'm like you better believe it and I just jump <laughs> off the table and I'm back out and I go I'm like what the hell am I doing here? And uh, to, you know, I did make the team and, and, you know, it's a little different now. It's hard for players to do it, but you know, at that time that was a way of getting in and uh, I, I got in there and uh, oh man, it took me probably a month to recover from the exhibition games, but it was, it was, it was worth it. Right. I mean, it worked out really well. Hey, kind of going through your, your, uh, your list of the places you played uh, the Islander thing. We weren't there long, but you played quite a while in Vancouver. You played with Chicago you played with the, you know, the Rangers, the Oilers, of all those places. And that's quite a collection of places you've played, too. What do you remember about all of those? Are there specific things about specific cities you remember? Well, I mean, Chicago, I, I would say it was a pretty dark time in that organization's history. And yeah. so I don't really have a lot of, I love the city. I met my wife there. I made a lot of good friends, but I wouldn't say that was anything really special. Yeah. Um, the Islanders, same thing. They were in a bad point, point of their career. And I, I, mean, I, I didn't ask for a trade. And, but looking back, it was the best thing that happened to me. Uh, going to Vancouver, though, is where I established myself as a, as a guy that can play in the NHL. 
Um, you know, Mike Keenan was something and Mark, Mark Messe was there and Mark Crawford came in and, you know, he was very hard on us and uh, on me. Um, but he, you know, he was very good. He understood how I had to play and he, 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 he was very clear how I had to play. And I, I, I responded in kind and, you know, he probably got me, you know, that made sure I could play in the NHL a long time. Um, New York was amazing. I loved it there. Um, you know, it was after the lockout, you know, really we were a bunch of, you know, just people that just kind of shot us away, like Yager and Rachinsky, Kasparitis, all these things. And Tom Ray, to his credit, brought us together. And we call, you know, didn't hurt to it, Henrik Lundqvist, but he, he called us together. And, um, you know, I, I really feel that, that that year, our start, Lundqvist's first year, was the start of an unreal run for that organization. And we kind of set the blueprint, um, you know, and then coming back to Edmonton, you know, I, I, I never dreamt that I'd play for the Oilers. Um, you know, I, I grew up an Oilers fan. I, I grew up a fan of Kevin Lowe, Messi, Gretzky, all those guys. And now to count them amongst my friends and um, to play at home and to share that NHL experience with my my family and my friends. You know, I was always bringing people to the games, down into the green room after, meeting things, getting autographs. Like, it, it was an amazing three years. Um, and, and it was great because my wife and I were able to really establish ourselves in the city as, as you know, community not leaders, but just part of the community. And um, we, we were very proud to do so. Um, so, you know, it was, it was, I mean, I was so lucky. I, I could have mapped out a better roadmap for my, my time uh, in the NHL. Glenn Sather once told me when I worked for the team and that would have been in the late nineties, he said, you have to play three games in Edmonton. You have to play the hockey game. You have to play the media game and you have to play the community yeah. game. And uh, you can't, you can't slacken off on either the first two or the third one. He said, you've got yeah. to be able to get into the community and you've done a great job with that. Uh, there are some organizations that you work for. You work for a lot of community people. Uh, just tell everybody about how special that is for you. Well, I mean, this is my hometown, so I want to make it better. Um, I, I think that's, uh, you know, it's, it's one thing when you come and play for a team, then you, you leave at the end of your career or whatever, but this is my hometown. So, you know, for better, for worse, I have a bit of a platform and people are interested in what I say or do at times. So, um, you know, I'm, I'm very happy to be, to do, to lend my name to whatever. And my time more than anything, I think people want your time. Like when we go to like the hockey helps a homeless or whatever tournament, the people playing there, they've done the work, they've raised the money, they've put the teams together. They've done all that. And so all they're asking for me from me is my time and just, yeah. uh, have a good time, try to put a couple tapes, passes on the tape, uh, maybe a couple beers if things go well. And, and that's really what they want from you um, because they've done the work already. So that's the least you can do as someone who's asked. And I'm always honored when people ask, they actually say, you know, we want you part of this. I can't believe it still, but you do it. And, um, and that's, that's the gig. And, you know, when I came here to the orders, I was very well established as a, as a player and as a human. And I, and I knew, what I was about. And, you know, and I remember when Brownlee, uh, when I signed the first time you were interviewed me, I think it was you and Bob Stoffer, and you, you kept asking about, you know, are, are, have you looked around this division? There's a lot of fighters. I'm like, Oh yeah. And I, I was so happy that that was all you were focused on. Cause if you start asking about, are you going to produce points? I'm like, Oh, well that's uh, what are you just talking about the fighting again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I hear you. You, you know, it's interesting, Jason, and again, and again, Brent and I were talking about this before you came on. Um, I was, uh, I really enjoyed the time I spent with the Mustard Seed, helping them out with Hockey Helps the Homeless, uh, dealing with the alumni, because frankly, there are a lot of the guys that I covered as a, uh, when I was on the beat. Um, and I'm not, I, I'm not here to embarrass you, but you... You were one of those guys that always struck me that even when the cameras were off, the approach was, you know, I can help with this. If you need anything, just let me know. Some people, I mean, as long as it gets done, that's the, that's yeah. the important thing. But sometimes it's almost, well, yeah, I see the cameras over there. Yeah. Uh, but when the camera's not there, you were, you, you were always there to help, whether it was, I remember you rapping present <laughs> at a, at a event for the mustard seed. There was no skates. There was no alumni. There was no, Hey, there's Jason Strud. He used to play. You were just rapping presence. And you seem fine doing that. Where does that come from? Yeah. Well, my parents, obviously, uh, my parents are, uh, they're, they're very giving people and, you know, they, they help out uh, a lot of their, their neighbors, their community friends uh, with that. 
but and and just my extended family like you know i think that you know you, when you lend your, your name to something i think it's important that you, you use your voice wherever you can to do things but i think also you know you have to be in there with everybody doing the work that, that's required and i i, I you know I, I remember the i've wrapped against a couple times probably not very well i was just <laughs> going to ask if you're good at it because most guys well, aren't that's gift bag you know. country yeah, it was. Yeah, right, right. A lot of bows, a lot of tape. But, you know, you know what? I think it's important just to be there. And, and uh, you know, if you have the time to do it, like if if I have the time to help, I will do it. Like it's not it's not uh, you know, I'm too good or right? anything like that. And I think it's important to be in the trenches with with whomever helping out and wrapping gifts. It's not or, or whatever the case may be. But I, you know, I think that's that's part of it. You, you, know, you have to you can't just be there for the, for the high points. You also have to get in them in the, in the trenches and help out. We just survived another NHL trade deadline day. Okay, so you're an Edmonton guy. You played here. Oilers acquired defenseman Brett Kulak from the Montreal Canadiens. So now you're watching an Edmonton kid come back to play at home. He was talking about how emotional his dad was to hear he's going to be playing for the Oilers. If you're going to add any advice to, uh, I'm sure the lots of advice that he's getting about playing in your hometown, what would the number one piece of advice be? Well, you've got to set, and not this is probably the wrong word, but a bit of boundaries. Okay. Um, because there's a lot of work you have to get done as a player. Um, and my wife and I, right away, when we came back, I said there's going to be a flood of ticket requests and time requests, and we'll have to prioritize everything. Um, because you, and, and we didn't have kids. I think Kulak's going to have a, a child uh, in the next few months or something. But you, you want to try to be as many places you can, but you're here to play hockey. So, you know, I, I would try to say, so like, let's say Brownlee calls, say, Hey, can you come and do this? I'm like, I'm sorry. I I've got, I've kind of, I've already got one or two events this week and we, can we move it another day? So it's not saying no, it's just, we got to try to make it make sense. So you're, I think that's the big thing um, because it's, it's, I mean, the NHL schedule is relentless and it's, it's every other day, sometimes more than that. And you're, you're tired and you're, you're, you're bagged, but there is a responsibility to put your time in. Um, cause you're not only, cause it's different when you're in your hometown, you're out visiting with your friends and family cause they're living here Yeah. as well as the requests uh, that have come in from them to do, uh, can you come to, uh, you know, Robin Brownlee school? We want you to, you know, whatever, bake cupcakes. And I'm like, I'd love to, but, but I've got a lot of stuff going on here. Right. So you're trying to, so it's, it's not the same. Like when I played in Chicago, I didn't have any family there. So someone wanted me to come over and whatever, come to a bar mitzvah and, you know, do the worm for 20 minutes. I could do it. No problem. But it's, it's a different level. So you really have to kind of, yeah, prioritize a little bit and, and, and not to sound too cool, but that's just the reality of the situation. And he sounds like a really smart guy. He's got, um, his family, I'm sure his wife's thrilled that he's coming back. So yeah, it, I'm excited for see what he can do and what he adds to this group. What do you think he adds to the group? I was thinking a little bit about that. It's uh, it's going to be fun. He he also was playing with a very talented individual in Montreal too. Yeah, he, he's he's a really good skater, and uh, I've liked him for a while. I think he moves the puck well. Um, I think one thing he's gonna have to really figure out is can he kill penalties? Um, you know, the way the group is set up now, I I I would say it's like kind of like a community. Everyone's gonna do their own thing. So I, I see CC and Nurse. Do, you know, lifting a lot of the heavy minutes. I see the two right uh, shot, uh, Bouchard and Barry, running the power play. And then Keith and, and uh, Kulak are supporting those skilled um, right D-men, but they're going to have to kill penalties because I, I don't think Bouchard or Barry are ideal for killing penalties right now. So Kulak hasn't killed a lot of penalties. Can he get on track? You know, you can really, it's it's a bit of uh, just understanding what the other team's trying to do than being brave, standing in front of people that are shooting bombs at you, which I don't know if it's smart, but it's brave. <laughs> Strutty, just to keep it in Edmonton for now, um, Ken Holland said, because we know what people have been saying, you need a goaltender, you need, we get a left shot D, maybe get a forward. Uh, you know, that this is a very intense fan base uh, and opinionated. He said uh, when he couldn't make a deal for a goaltender, I think our goaltending is good enough if we're healthy, if they're healthy, if Koskinen doesn't get ridden too hard and Smith is healthy. It's only been a couple of games, and that does not make the, the stretch drive. But last night I thought was a very good game for this club. Um, and Koskinen and Smith have looked very good to me in their last couple of games. Did last night show you anything about what this team might be capable of if they can play that way down the stretch 
Well, first off, let's talk about what you said that, you know, maybe the fan base wants maybe another forward, a Dina goalie. That is such a small shopping list. Let's go back three, four, five, six years. Brown, yeah. you've been coming to the team since Jesus walked on the planet. You know, <laughs> other than the Stanley Cup times, the recent shopping list has been huge. And I think that adding a forward is, is probably debatable. That would be like a luxury item, right? That's like yeah. getting an appetizer when you're ordering steak and lobster. So I don't think that was really a need. The D, yes, it was a need in a goalie. But that shopping list is shrinking. And I think that Ken Holland, came in, he said he's going to do, you know, incremental improvements. And that's how I believe there's there. And he said at the time there, there's not one player that's going to fix this team, but it's just small improvements. So, you know, I think he addressed that with Kulak, the Ford again, I, you know, Broussard, I think it's a, it's a nice insurance policy, yep. but the goaltending is an area that I think it's, it's fair to wonder where they're at. Um, so Mike Smith had a really t- has had a tough year, really, really tough year with the injuries and all that. It's just been an absolute nightmare. And I've had years like that too. And you cannot, you just never feel like yourself. And as a goalie, there's nowhere to hide. You know, if I have a bad shift, hopefully the goalie bails me out or my partner. If you're a goalie and you're, you're not feeling yourself, it takes a long time. It, it is hard. It is hard. There's no one to, no one's behind you. So I think that with these goaltenders, Miko has been trending in the right direction. You know, Mike Smith has a second good performance. And I would, I would describe his game last night as very settled. You're very settled. You know, as a D-man, I always wanted to see the goalie behind me be calm, uh, not all over the place, you know, not, not suggesting he is, but just calm and efficient in his movements. I thought Mike was that last night. Now, part of that also, I think that's a reflection of what the goalies are seeing in front of them. Under Jay Woodcroft, it's been much better in front of them, much calmer. I think they're giving up um, less really big opportunities. And you play a team like Colorado, they're going to get chances. They're, they're a good team. I mean, that's that's their job. They're paid to, to create chances. But Mike Smith came up big with some saves, that they're timely saves. Um, you know, and, and you lose 3-2 to a team like that, you know, missing your third-line center. I know they are missing players, but I, I was really impressed and encouraged by what I saw last night, both from Smith and the team. And quite honestly, guys, that's probably the most playoff-like game we've seen by the Oilers, even counting the playoffs last year. Yeah. I was just going to talk about the fact that I was kind of disappointed in their five-on-five play in the playoffs last year. The bottom six guys could not take any pressure off the top six guys. Mm-hmm. It just seems that this this offensive core up front is far deeper and is, is starting to really round out nicely at just the right time. Do you see it the same way? I do. But, you know, as I watched the game last night, I'm looking at two guys, Fogel and Pugliarvi. Yeah, They've got to be physical. I yep. thought Yamamoto and Kane. Kane had points. I honestly couldn't believe he didn't get called for some of the penalties he had, some of those hits. I would call them borderline hits, but I, I mean, whatever. He's on the order, so he can do whatever he wants. But the Yamamoto and Kane, I thought, had really good. I thought Drysaddle played with an edge. But you look at Pugliarvi and, and Fogel, they need more of that. Like yep. they, and, and, you know, Hyman, I don't know if he's exactly like that. I think Hyman is more annoying by how he's hard going to the net, hard on the back check. So maybe he's not like a Kane, and it's hard to be like Kane or Yamamoto. But pulling RV and Fogel, that's a conversation. If I was the coach, I'd pull him in and say, guys, we need you to hit. We need you to be physical because they're big bodies. They can skate. And if you have those two guys going, so the two guys I mentioned, uh, Kane and Fo- uh, Kane and uh, Yamamoto, Fogel and uh, Pulley RV, you got dry saddle playing a little bit edgy. Um, you know, Cassie doing, he does Archibald. He's like, now you're getting more than half of your lineup kind yep. of playing that way. Cause in the playoffs, you're going to look at Curtis McDermott last night, Manson, they were trying to abuse our forwards. Someone's got to push back. Well, I think you're completely right. Cause you know what, as, as neat as it is to see a guy like Yamamoto throw what little weight he does now around. <laughs> yeah. He's got to be sitting there thinking he's never going to say it as a kid. Come on guys. Like you're talking about the, the, the larger players on the roster. You can't have your most active uh, body checker, the five foot eight, 170 pound guy. It just doesn't work over the long term, Right. No, it doesn't. And I think that's a conversation. Like it's, I'm not, you know what, I might take back my earlier statement. Maybe it's not a coaching conversation. Maybe that's a conversation from the captain and, and just say, guys, like, this is what we need. We need you guys to be big and strong. Like Fogel, he skates like the wind. Um, you know, he gets, he gets those areas, but you no know, crash into a guy, you know, and a guy not to leave him off. I think McLeod, he skates the same way better probably than, than Fogel. And uh, that's saying something and he should be able to get and get some bangs in there. You, you need, cause let's say the Oilers were going to start a seven game series against Colorado. My two biggest guys I'm going after are Taze and, and um, McCarr. Those are the two guys. You got to slow them down 
And let's be honest, you're not going to slow down game one or two. You might not even get to them by game three. But by game four, they're constantly being knocked into, dragged to the ground. And, you know, kind of that some of that ugliness that uh, you see in the playoffs, eventually it'll start to take its toll um, because they'll be doing it to Leon and Connor. You've got to go oh, yeah. to those guys. And I'm not saying you don't have to worry about Miko or McKinnon or any of those guys, but those two D-men are hugely important and and you've got to bring those guys down. And that's, I don't, the guys I mentioned, that's six or seven guys. That's almost one every line. One in every line should be able to get to those guys and you grind them down like that and I mean, maybe you got a chance in a, in, in a seven-game series. Well, I'm so old that I go back to watching games at the Coliseum with my dad in 84 when the Oilers were going for their first cup. And the radical change in thinking was we don't keep the puck away from Dennis Potvin. we got to dump it into his corner and make him pay for right. it. So by the yeah. time game two and game three roll around, he's bagged. And yeah. uh, the, let's talk about Colorado for a couple of seconds and the Calgary Flames because right now they look like they're the top two teams in the West Every time they watch, it is fun hockey to watch, just like the game was on uh, on Monday night between the Oilers and the Avalanche. But what are your thoughts on both of those two teams, Colorado and Calgary? Well, I'll start the one we saw last night. I think Colorado is really well built. I mean, they, they are going to be a handful. And you add up uh, our Terry uh, Lechtenin and uh, whatever from Montreal and um, Andrew Cagliano, uh, a really good order actually for a long time. Manson, you know, those, those are really nice additions. Big, yep. but I know Cagliano's not a big guy, but he plays big, plays fast. Um, they're going to be a handful. They're going to be deep when they get Landis Cog back, a very deep, heavy team. They're going to be a hard out. They're going to be really hard out, especially the mobility on that back end. And, you know, they only have Bowen Byram in there, Sammy Gerrard. So they're going to be tough. But I think that that team, um, you've, you've got to be as patient as you can against them. But you're going to have to try to just manage their their chance against, and like I said, take down those two D-men. And hopefully that softens them up enough because they've got a lot of depth up front. The, the Flames have if not the best goalie, one of the best goalies, you know, in the Western conference. And that's a big challenge. And that'd be an interesting matchup for them to orders. Uh, their D are, I think, you know, similar to the orders, you know, not, I don't think there's a real advantage one or the other up front. They're a deep team as well. You, know, you got, you bring in to Foley for that pick, but I mean, Kachuk, the way he's playing and obviously Johnny Goudreau, all these guys, if they can ever get Monaghan, you know, instead of just paying $2 to public skate, maybe actually pays $10 for a hard skate. They, they might really have something there down the middle. So yeah. it, it, that's a, that would be, I think, I'd feel pretty comfortable with the Oilers matchup with the Flames. The goaltending is a huge question mark, though, with the way Markstrom can play. Um, but, I, you know, I, I, luckily they don't have to play Colorado to the third, third round if they were to go that far. But, you know, let's say they play the Kings in the first round. They have to play against Dandino, Kopitar, and Dowdy. And then their goalies, the owners should match up pretty well down the middle. You know, you should feel pretty comfortable with that matchup. Then the wingers, I think they have the advantage. So, you know, it's, it's, I don't feel there's anyone's going to dominate if they have the owners in their Pacific division. Um, but they, they, they have a puncher's, not more than a puncher's chance. They have a chance if they play continually the way they are now, five on five. Now, just a quick one, because I, I thought of you as a defenseman. We don't get to see a lot of, uh, Colorado, at least we haven't uh, recently, and this was the first game with the Oilers. M- McKinnon is a stud, man. I wow. mean, he is big, strong, fast, talented, and a little bit mean. I mean, is there anything else you need if you're a forward than what McKinnon brings to the table? Yeah, you know, McKinnon's interesting. I, I thought when he first came to the league, he was uh, selfish. And I, and I think that I, I was maybe wrong in my evaluation. I don't think he understood how to play with other players because he was always so far ahead of them. You know, he's so fast and so fast. And, and I was like, well, why does this guy ever make plays? Well, now we start to understand how to use his speed to the advantage of himself, but also his teammates. And I think that's, that's the evolution of a great player, right? It doesn't just, you just don't walk into the NHL and be a perfect finished product. So he is a unique blend of all those things you mentioned. And I would hate to play against that guy because I could probably handle the physicality. I could, you know, maybe I could stay in his way, but the speed, I just, I, I couldn't, couldn't, couldn't handle it. So, you know, you're, you're playing against him. I think the big thing that you see the player or teams do against orders is you stay above him. So what does that mean? So that means if McKinnon is, you know, swinging through the neutral zone on a regroup to get a puck back, you need your center between him and the net the whole way. You can't be on the defense, on the offensive side of the puck because that just gives them time. So you don't want him to get that speed going. you got to slow him down. And then by doing that, the D-men feel a lot more comfortable to stand up. And now it limits the space again, because if the four is not above 
McKinnon and McKinnon swings at the demons like, oh boy, this is going to be embarrassing. So yeah. you back or I back way off. And now he gets more time and space to get that speed going. And now you've got a raging bull coming at you a thousand miles an hour. And by the way, you've got a huge fin. It's about seven feet tall on the other side. Yeah. And then Landis Cobb. Like it's just, it's a complete nightmare. So I think defending him Brownlee starts outside your zone in their zone or, you know, as close to the zone as possible. Got to say, speed when you're a forward man. Like Connor McDavid is a classic example of this. We had the Tampa Bay Lightning in town, and Victor Hedman was caught yeah. leaning just a little bit too much the wrong way, and you could almost hear from the press box him go, oh, my God, because yeah. Connor was coming at him. It's got to be a horrifying thing. <laughs> you know, and as a D-man, like he's, in his life, he's probably done – I don't know, 20,000 one-on-ones yeah. in between practice games and the outdoor rink. So, you know, as a D-man, like as soon as I saw him, like he's done. And, and it's, I don't, I wasn't a judgment saying, oh, I would have been better. It, you just can see that he doesn't have the speed required to deal with it. And it's a sick feeling because there's nothing you can do and you're in an island. Yeah. Brent, I don't want to forget this because you, I had to look quickly at uh, the roster of Strutty's teams. We want to talk about McDavid and McKinnon. Got to ask a guy who played with him. The best, the, the most exhilarating player I ever saw before Connor McDavid. Not the best, just the most yeah. dynamic was Pavel Bure. Mm-hmm. You saw him with your own eyeballs in Vancouver yeah. as a teammate. How good was he? Yeah, he was amazing. So I, I get traded to Vancouver, right? We were, I was with the Islanders. We played in Edmonton. And then we fly to Vancouver, uh, and 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 I get traded. Like it's like within ten minutes in the dressing room, I'm traded to Vancouver. I'm like, what the hell? So, anyways, I, I change. I go and have a press conference, change hotels. So the next morning, I'm, I'm going in there. And there's uh, Burray McGill named Messier. All these and some of my friends like McCabe and Bertuzzi, but whatever. So we go in there, and Mike uh, comes in and says, "We're not sure if you're playing today." But, you know, just practice and we'll see what happens. I'm like, okay, great. So I go, the first drill after the warm-up drill is a one-on-one in the morning skate. The first guy I go against, uh, Pavel Burry, skates around me like I'm a pylon. I'm like, oh, my God, this is awful. Next guy, Alexander McGillney, digs me into the ground, scores. I'm like, oh, they're, I, I think they're going to fire me. They're not even going to play me. So I skate into the corner, and, and a guy was a really good coach. His name was Jack McAharty. We call yeah. him Jack McAharty. And he comes skates, so he's like, don't worry, son, or a kid, you don't have to play against those guys. I'm like, thank God. And so um, that was my first intro into those two guys. And Burry was amazing. And I got traded for his best friend, Gino, so I don't know if he didn't like me or whatever. And I, I think he wanted out, so I don't, I don't take it personally. But, you know, he was in great shape, and he was so fast. But he was going for 50 goals that year when I arrived in there. The, all the players said, pass to Pavel. I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm going to try to pass to him no matter what. Like, I want to get points too. So he did score the 50 that year, uh, but the explosiveness was amazing. And he he was so quick. The only thing that was faster than that was how fast he'd get off of ice after practice yeah. into the power and home. Because I, the whistle, it would still be resonating in the, in, the, uh, in the arena, and he'd already be off and out. It was, I, I don't think I spoke 10 words to that guy the whole time. I'd like to think that you allowing him to go by you that quickly was a yeah, good thing for his yeah. confidence that year. Yeah. Yeah. He only had 47 goals at that point. So I'm like, buddy, you're going to need to score. You have to go around and got it. But I'll, I'll never forget that morning skate. And, um, you know, it was so humbling and, and not that I was cocky, but I, you want to have a good first step, first impression. And I get just turnstiled by these two Russian rockets. And it's like, oh, this wow. is awful. You know, it never happened. Like the only other time it happened that bad was in training camp. Uh, my last training camp to order is when Everly came. And I remember thinking, I got to test this kid out. You know, I, I got to see what he's all about. So we're doing a one-on-one drill and I call him out. I'm like, Evie, you're going right now. So I go, I didn't even finish my pattern. He was by me. And I'm like, uh, he's like, sorry, man. I'm like, don't worry about it. And I knew it was going to be a long year. I, I was done. I was done. <laughs> hey, uh, thanks for your time. We uh, obviously have to tell everybody about your podcast, Got Your Back, with uh, with Ryan Rashog from TSN, and also uh, continued success in the afternoons with Jason Greger on TSN 1260 in Edmonton. It's sounding great. You're having a lot of fun, and uh, that's what it's all about, man. Yeah, well, thanks for having me on, guys. It's a lot of fun to catch up with you guys. You know, in honor of our 99th episode of The Outsiders, of course, there will only be one great one. We all know that. But Brent and his team members over at the Macintosh Group at REMAX River City, pretty darn good, too. 
I'd say that's a bit of an understatement. Just like any good teammate, the realtors at the McIntosh Group assist you in selling your home. What's the goal? Well, to sell your home for the most amount of money in the least amount of time with little to no stress at all. Now, Gretz was no stranger to breaking and setting records, and the Edmonton single-family real estate market is breaking records here in 2022 already for not only values but units sold. It's important to hire a professional with the skills to work in this ever-changing market. I think we all know that. So if you're looking for a Hall of Fame experience when selling your home, then make sure you give Brent and the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City a call. Here's the number. Got a pen? 780-464-0075. Or you can find them online at mcintoshgroup.ca. Both buyers and sellers, they can contact the McIntosh Group at REMAX River City directly. Once again, the phone number 780-464-0075. And one last thing. Tell them the outsider sent you. Well, that's in another episode in the can. That was a lot of fun today. Jason Strudwick, great guest, great stories. And uh, he just gets better and better as a broadcaster every day. I love it. It's fantastic. <laughs> well, I tell you, Bryn, I love the. I, Jason told me something about a couple of situations that we brought up that I didn't know. And that part is all is always fun. I remember feeling sorry for, like I said, uh, Joe Halbig and with what Struddy said and what yeah. he was trying to make the club. I didn't know that. And the other thing was the Bure thing right out of the blocks with your new yeah. team. Let's try and impress the new team. Uh, you're, those are the two guys you want to face right out of the blocks. I thought that was good. You know, one of the things too, I, I've always kind of, felt a little sad about the fact that Pavel Burry, because his career ended prematurely, that he's almost an afterthought when people talk about the greatest Russian ever to lace him up. Obviously, Alexander Ovechkin comes in, and Ovi should. Look what he's done. But I just don't think that Pavel Burry gets enough ink or enough chatter these days, and I find that a little sad. Alexander McGillney, also another talented guy, but... But man, oh man, having to go up against those two guys in your very first practice must have just been <laughs> horrifying for him. So there's that. Hey, the NHL trade deadline has come and gone. This one was kind of a little, I don't know, it just seemed a little uh, dull. But there were a couple of things that, that stood out for me. So we have Marc-Andre Fleury, the mo- one of the most notable ones, going to Minnesota. And now so you have Fleury and Cam Talbot, who posts a shutout the exact same day they get this uh, this mm-hmm. goaltender in Mark Andre Fleury. So uh, the Wilder, you know, we're talking about Colorado, we talk about Calgary and the West, but Minnesota just seemed to be uh, lurking in the weeds is the best way to to word it because they do have the potential to maybe surprise and upset somebody. So uh, that's a pretty good acquisition by Bill Guerin. But there's some other ones that that you noticed that are just as obvious. Well, and and yeah. And hey, we know what we got to get Billy Garrett on again. Um, he's making noise, and uh, he's making some noise there in the uh, in uh, Minnesota. I, I I'm enjoying that part of it. But yeah, there's it was quiet. I mean, numbers wise, I think, and it's funny because the networks now allow for so much time for these shows that. Half the time, most of the deals get made in the days leading up to it. So yeah. they, they kind of get stuck. But, you know, I thought we've been talking about Colorado today. Not the biggest deal, but Josh Manson is an awful good player. Great pickup. And, and uh, you know, he goes to that blue line. And the other one is, you know, Florida. I mean, when you think of hockey in Florida, you think of the Tampa Bay Lightning, and for good reason, Yep. Uh, over this last decade. Uh, the Florida Panthers look like they can make some noise. And I I tell you what, Claude Giroux is a really good get, no matter how you slice it. I, he makes them a lot better right off the hop, too. I got to tell you, when I was programming at uh, 1260 in Edmonton, I used to get that call frequently about our trade deadline day and how much we committed to it. And, yeah. you know, you'd start talking to somebody who was phoning to bitch, whine, and complain about it. And I said, look, this is, we're kind of an all sports station. If you're not, if you're not spending, and hockey's number one, clearly. So if you're not spending the whole day talking about and building off of a trade deadline show where you can generate some revenue also, which is just as important as generating some audience numbers, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a no-brainer. And, and 
Yeah, it's uh, it's tough to watch the TSN and the Sportsnet guys go for eight hours where there might not be much to say, but they're all sports TV and radio stations. That's their bread and butter. That you got to do what you got to do, man. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it's part it's part of the business, and you just hope that there's enough compelling stories out there to fill the time. Um, it's interesting. The one thing I have always found amusing, uh, and maybe it's just an old newspaper guy thing. Uh, the the will and desire on the day of the trade deadline, right? The second it's over, to declare winners and losers. Yeah, yeah. You don't know who won or lost. I mean, you can go by the book. It looks like so and so got what they needed, or so and so didn't. That's a nice but- pickup. That's another good line you can use. Yeah, this, I laughed this morning though, Bryn, when I looked and, and it's not about the particular outlet because they're a, a big mainstream outlet, but I was, I, it was on ESPN. And of course they listed by teams, but here's a new category for you. They listed Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl as losers because among the losers, because the Oilers, in their opinion, I guess, didn't do enough to bolster the lineup. So it wasn't just the Edmonton Oilers that were listed as losers. It was those two guys. I think that's taking it a bit far. It's funny because, and this goes back to when I worked in Calgary at Sportsnet 960, the fan, and I was hosting the Flames broadcasts. And I still remember this one particular night vividly because the Toronto Maple Leafs were in town. And you know what it's like in any of these Western Canadian cities when the Leafs or the Habs come in, where it's 50-50. The general manager at the time of the Leafs was Brian Burke. Mm -hmm. And we were talking, I don't think it was on the air, but we were talking off the air about uh, trade deadline days and trades and all that kind of stuff. And any time Burke would lead with the word, look, it's like you got to shut up and listen carefully because he's about to make a very strong point. He said that he doesn't, he says, I don't gauge trades with a stopwatch. I use a calendar. And it really resonated with me. The fans like to use the stopwatch. But for general managers, he says, you can't really tell if you've won or lost a trade immediately. You have to wait a little bit. And it makes perfect sense to me. And it just, the comment that started with look, The comment has stuck with me so vividly through the years now. This is almost 10 years to the point now where that's exactly how I look at it. It's like people judging trades. The Oilers make a deal at 1030 in the morning. The deadline's at 1. Guys are already assessing whether or not it's a disaster deal. We don't even know if it's a setup deal for another deal coming down. So I don't get too wound up about anything at 1030 in the morning when I know the trade deadline is at 1 o'clock in the afternoon. Just the nature of fans, right? I get it. But uh, for me, I just sit there and go, hmm, wonder if there's more to the story here. Because having worked on the other side, behind the scenes, in those offices on trade deadline days, I know that some days there's nothing going on until noon. And then all of a sudden it comes right at you. And conversely, there might have been something that was worked on three months ago, and it kind of went cold a month before the trade deadline. And suddenly a couple of teams make a couple of deals. And that deal you talked about way back in November is suddenly in vogue in the month of March. So it's, uh, it's an ever-changing landscape, but it's all part of the fun of the, the whole experience. Let's, uh, and we didn't talk about this. Yeah. Let's, let's have a little bit of fun before we go. In my opinion, my take is this. Regardless of what people wanted here in Edmonton, Ken Holland to do, and, and it's understandable, with the moves he may, made or didn't make, when I look at the Edmonton Oilers now, I see a team that aside from Colorado and aside from Calgary, the way they're playing under uh, Daryl Sutter, yeah, I don't see a team that has to take a back seat to anybody in the Western Conference. And I think the Edmonton Oilers, this is almost guaranteed to jinx them and have Mike Smith slip in the shower or Michael Koskinen <laughs> yeah, okay. fall down the stairs. But with these two goaltenders, to echo what Ken Holland said on, on the deadline day in his media avail, I think if these two guys stay healthy and with the addition of Evander Kane earlier, uh, 
I think the Edmonton Oilers are going to pleasantly surprise some people. Does that get them past Calgary uh, and Colorado the rest of the way? Uh, I don't think they catch them, and I don't know that they get by them when it comes time to play them. But I think I think this is a really good hockey club for the rest of the way. Well, you? if you take a look at the Koskinen numbers over the last 15 games at the time of our taping this podcast, yeah. they're pretty solid. I think he's at a 920 save percent average. His yeah. win-loss record is pretty solid. The defense, I think, is a little bit better now than it was before the trade deadline. And the forwards are a little deeper with the Broussard uh, addition. That also gives them some mobility in terms of what they want to do with Ryan Nugent Hopkins as well. So this is probably the deepest I've seen their forward lineup in quite some time. I can't even remember where it was this deep. The question mm-hmm. mark is going to be the defense, whether or not they can kind of eliminate those second and third opportunities. Because really that's, if you take away, a, I remember talking to a former NHL netminder, and we talked about Miko Koskinen. And everybody knows to go high to the glove side. But the former netminder told me it's up to the team defense to make sure that the shooters don't have two extra seconds to figure it out and to aim it. They just need to be blasting away. So there are some elements. They're better than they are. Can they upset and surprise? Sure they can. And do I think that Colorado and Calgary are beatable? Sure I do. But you got to have to do a lot of things right the one thing, the one thing the Colorado Avalanche did against the Edmonton Oilers on the Monday night game that we're talking about, the power mm-hmm. play, their power play was deadly. You're probably not going to get anywhere near as many power play opportunities. We've seen that in the in the postseasons past. So special teams aren't going to be as big a, a, a big a deal. The Oilers are better now five on five than they used to be. And so, yeah, could they upset? All boils down to 2006. You think of Roley. Dwayne Rollison stepping up and giving them unbelievable net mining, and that can carry you a long way. Same thing with uh, Miko, uh, not Miko, but uh, Mika Kiprasov in 2004 with the Calgary Flames was on fire that, that year, and they had good depth, and they were able to go a long way. So, yeah, I think they could do some damage, but a lot of things have to work out, Robin. A lot of things, a lot of ducks have to line up. <laughs> I think they are. You know what? We talked at the start of the season, Brennan, a lot of people right across the league, no matter what city you're in, uh, people here thought the Oilers could contend for the Pacific Division title. Now, uh, well, I shouldn't say Well, title, take away a horrible span of injuries and that, that yeah. losing skid, they're there. And most people, th- and they're not out of it yet, but most people thought it would be uh, the Oilers and Vegas uh going at it for that top spot. Yeah. I think it, I think it, it, it becomes now uh, the Oilers and the Flames. I don't think the Oilers are going to catch the Flames. They're, no. nine point, they're nine points back, but it doesn't matter. I think if Calgary and Edmonton are one and two, it makes it really interesting because you've still got some other guys that are awful good in this. In you know, you look at the Central with, with Denver and, and uh, uh, Minnesota. Uh, don't forget St. Louis either. No, I, I'm not forgetting them, but I see a, I, I'm seeing a step down from Colorado to the rest of them, even Minnesota. I mean, Minnesota, as of this recording, 78 points, yep. Nashville, 78, St. Louis, 77. Um, Denver's got the big, the, the, you know, the, the margin there. And really in the, in the Pacific, it's Calgary with the big margin, uh, but Daryl's not going to let off the gas. You know that. So can the Kings stay there? Maybe. I don't want to sell them short, but the Oilers are right there at 75. Uh, Vegas has had its trouble. We know what's happened to them. So it's going to be interesting. And we've said this more than once during the, the life of this podcast, Brent. If it's good, I think it's good for hockey. Uh, right across the board, if we have a battle of Alberta that's an actual battle uh, in competition more than just calling it the Battle of Alberta, because that's been laughable some years. Yeah, These two teams are stacking up pretty well. So when you look at the two different divisions, there's, a, there's some pretty good hockey clubs on top right now. I was trying to explain to the boys at home a 26-year-old and a 15-year-old, that the Battle of Alberta you haven't experienced yet. No. And I was asked, well, why is that? I said, because when the two teams play 
in the playoffs and you lose, you can't sleep that night. You're irritated beyond belief the following day. You can't wait to get to the next game, but you're scared. And then if you win the exhilaration that night, you can't sleep that night. And then you're on cloud nine the whole next day as you get ready for the next game. It's, it's, uh, it's really indescribable. And a lot of people have not gone through that and are about to perhaps go through that this season and this postseason. I look forward to it. That'd be great. It'd be a lot of fun. But not, if you know what I mean. <laughs> well, and, and we know this, Bryn, because we're old as dirt. Oh, yeah. Sometimes, sometimes if you look through the record books, it doesn't tell you everything. Um, there were many years where the Calgary Flames were probably the second best team in hockey. They were. Got, they never got to the Stanley Cup final. Winnipeg and Jets were, were maybe the third best team and couldn't get by the top two teams, Edmonton and I Calgary. I was just going there. The, the the Jets got a whole bunch of nothing at the end of the day. And they were great. They had a great team. They, they had unbelievable teams there. And But you just, if you go by the trophies, well, where's the, well, the engraver must have missed them. Well, you guys no, were third. You guys were second. Yeah, but they and were. That was, the Wild West was really wild then. And, you know, things are different, different time, different decade, all that stuff. I get that. But, man, it would be nice to see Calgary and Edmonton, from a selfish point of view, uh, stay good. And then, you know, we don't know who's going to come out of the East, but, you know, the we've got some noise down in Florida, and not all of it's coming out of Tampa for once. Yeah. And uh, it's going to be interesting. I'm really looking – I'm looking forward to the stretch because, you know what, coulda, woulda, and shoulda, doesn't matter now. The trade deadline has come and gone. The teams are the teams. So uh, let's see how it shapes up. I'm looking forward to this stretch drive. Perfect spot to end this, baby. Hey, check us out on Twitter. Our handle's really simple. It is at Outsiders2020. Keeps growing. It's also a great way to get a hold of us. Just drop us a, a direct message. We'd love to hear from you. Also, Tell your friends and subscribers to check out our RSS feed on any of your favorite ear candy sites like Apple, Google, Spotify, Pocket Casts, etc., etc. And uh, we're also on YouTube. You retweeting that, by the way, also helps push us to the next level. Just make sure you tell your buds that uh, we're out here. And it's getting competitive. There's a lot of great sports podcasts out there, but uh, I love the fact that we all seem to be listening to everybody else's podcast and we're supporting it. And I think that that's fantastic. I record at the Road 55 studio in downtown Edmonton. I'm a hockey puck throw away from Rogers Place. Robin is at the Lucky Sam studio. That's what we're going with, right? I think so, yeah. Okay, well, I, I, I finally typed it in. So Lucky Sam studio in southwest Edmonton. As I said, your support is greatly appreciated. Coming up in the next few weeks, Bob McKenzie, check. I'm going to talk to Cassie Campbell because women's hockey, uh, they're starting to finally get some positive and some good news. There's some interesting developments. We'll talk to mm -hmm. Cassie about that. Lots of other guests coming our way. And, of course, we're going to get ready for the playoff run. I'm going to try to get Ron McLean on, actually. I, I chatted with Ron last August and uh, said, as we get close to the playoffs, I want to get you on. Yeah, sure. So we're going to try to get him on as well. And we'll see if we can get uh, a Flames and an Oilers general manager to join us here over the next few months. That one's going to be uh, it's a little tougher, but it's getting easier all the time because of the uh, support of everybody and the fact that uh, the podcast keeps growing. Robin, that's it for today. Outstanding. All right. Talk to you next week, everybody. Storm in the castle. Road 55.